0: Consider the following stat from the Harvard University Research Group Opportunity Insights. At 38 US colleges, including five Ivy League schools, more students come from the top 1% income scale than from the entire bottom 60. When we leave in place policies, traditions, and biases that favor some students over others, we leave intact a structural inequality that will result in college admission privilege. Admissions decisions that ignore how this privilege works will inevitably end up with an extremely underrepresentative student body like the 38 described above. Welcome back to the second episode of the Black Culture, Black Thought podcast, where I invite guests to review some of the most polarizing moments within Black culture to see how it relates to Black history, theory, and thought. Today, I'm joined by my former professor, associate professor at LaGuardia Community College, Jason Hendrickson, and by my mentor, Nancy Lee Sanchez, executive director of the Kaplan Educational Foundation, which guides community college students through the process of transferring to competitive four-year colleges. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, so I actually opened up the show with a quote from you, Nancy, um, in an article that you published on forts.com Beyond the Scandals, How College Admission Privilege Keeps Low-Income Students Out, because I wanted us to take a moment to look back and reflect on, col- on the college admission scandal. This Friday, so today, because the episode's gonna actually be released on Friday, Today, um, Felicity Huffman will be sentenced for paying $15,000 to help her daughter's SAT scores go up in order to increase her chances of being admitted into college. And I want us to take a moment to kind of reflect on what does this mean um, about the function of college today? So how does this scandal tell us how college is functioning? Who is it allowing in? Who has access to college? And ultimately, what does this mean for black college students? this all started back in march of this year the fbi was able to uncover a college admission ring led by former ceo the edge of the edge college and career network william singer singer worked with upwards of 50 people including actress felicity huffman of desperate housewives and actress Lori laughlin from full house the way it worked was that parents would make donations with one donation being as high as 6.5 million dollars to singer's nonprofit. Singer will help increase SAT-ACT scores by either having someone take the exam, the proctor guide the student to the correct answer, or have someone change the answers. In total, Singer schemed with 33 parents, like I mentioned before, um, Huffman who pleaded guilty, would be sentenced this week, with federal prosecutors only recommending one month of prison time. So before we get to the question, I also want us to just, I want us to compare Huffman's sentencing recommendation to the prison sentence that was initially handed down to Kelly Williams Bellar. In 2011, Bellar, who is a black mother, was found guilty of a felony for falsifying school records because she used her father's address to send her two daughters to a better school district. William Bellar was initially sentenced to serve two concurrent five-year sentences, but the judge suspended that sentence in lieu of a 10-day jail sentence, 80 hours of community service, a $7,000 fine, and three years probation. Even though Williams Villar only ended up serving 10 days in jail, she did have those two initial sentencing sentences of five years, and Huffman will only have the recommendation of one month. So I wanted to just point that out because I mm. felt like that recommendation that's coming from the federal prosecutors um, versus what Villar got, which was like, I wrote a wrong address down, mm. I got five years in jail, I spent $15,000 to have my child's four get increased, and I'm only getting recommended one month of jail time. I thought that was very interesting, um, and I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on that? We can answer that a little bit later, okay? <laughs> so, um, But what I really want us to talk about is, what did this scandal tell us about class and accessing higher education? Did this scandal give us a moment of pause to reconsider the functioning of higher education and the weight of financial freedom and career opportunity that a bachelor's degree holds?
1: I think that actually we're, we're going to end up answering both of them at the same time. Um, as I came and thought about what we would be talking about today, fundamentally we're talking about um, kind of affirmative action versus legacy admissions. I think that. The different ways that those are raced and looked at and how one is much more public, popular, and maligned versus another that's more of a shadow um, a shadow mechanism is something that we have to look at. And inherent in that is a discussion, this is the second point, um, is a discussion of economy um, and the finances that are available to parents, the structural inequalities. Um, and I guess a part 2B to that is it's not just the money, it's the other M, and that's meritocracy. Um, you know, what is happening to merit as it relates to admission? Um, if, <laughs> or maybe that's the bad question, you know, perhaps merit was never, much a, uh, never as much a part of it uh, as we once believed. Um, and to me, this case just highlights or, it's, yeah, it just shines a light on something that's already been there. Mm -hmm. Um, In the shadows. And that um, it's, you know, that meritocracy, it's somewhat of an illusion. Um, And, yeah, I would start with that.
0: Thank you, Jason. Nancy, do you have any initial thoughts? So, absolutely. You know, whenever I
2: think of the the, the scandal, I always, uh, the question is, how much are people willing to pay and why are they getting that? right uh-huh. mm-hmm. now especially when you're looking at higher education and a bachelor's degree what does that mean for these rich parents of great privilege but I always say I'm, I'm so interested in my community and what does co- what does higher education access mean to us mm-hmm. and just like you have a parent right and uh-huh. these people that are willing to pay what is their understanding of what this college is going to do for their talented or not so talented (laughs) children, right? And oftentimes in our community, the question is raised, are they even aware that these opportunities are available? And if they are, are there resources to get them to get admitted, enrolled, and to graduate from these schools? What I always think about higher education, especially when we're thinking about highly selective institutions, It's not just the name, right? However, the name, what it brings with it, is a commitment of these schools being able to meet 100% of need. And that means that a very wealthy Uh child or student who's not so talented, who has a desire, will have, uh, and, and by the way, may have from health, mental health issues, may have all of the issues that exist in humanity that we all have. These schools have the resources to say, I'm going to meet you at where you are. Let's make sure that we know, mm-hmm. that, we, that we understand, that the, the students that are accepted to these colleges are no more talented than the students that are attending a community college. What they have is an ability to demonstrate, to your point, merit in a very different way. Or, so to me is, I want my students to get in there, because I know that school is going to be able to graduate at to graduate them at ninety seven percent rate. Yeah, and that is not done because every student that goes there is perfect. It's because the the school has the mm-hmm. access to mm-hmm. the resources to graduate those students. Yeah. So that is the question. So if I if I could pay billions of dollars and millions of dollars. For my entire community to have access to this type of resources, not just the name, but the resources, I would want to pay that.
1: And on the flip side of that, the folks who are very well off, who are wealthy, and are still going bending over backwards to get their student to get their children into a, into one of these prestigious schools, I think what's interesting is. They're going to be well off anyway, uh-huh. mm-hmm. so it's not for economic security that, that they're doing this. It's really for a brand recognition, a name recognition. Mm-hmm. It's yes. for a social status. It's not for, um, it's it's not for the security or even the resources you're talking about that our communities need so much for the persistence, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that there's, there's also this misconception that um, the so-called lesser tiered schools, lower tier lower tiered schools, um or just getting students who are not as ambitious or persistent, but that completely neglects the amount of challenges and hoops toward graduation that many of our students, many of the students I have in my classroom have to deal with just to Uh get through the gates. Um, Whether it's community college or a four-year college, I mean, just being able to go making sure that you are well-fed enough to do well in class or that you have enough support at home, or that you're not supporting your family at home. Um, those are different impediments that make students have to take a break, or completely drop out entirely. Mm-hmm. It's not because of some lack of academic acumen or ability, um, as much as I think that is perceived to be. I mean, it's very much an economic question. Right? And yeah,
0: like when Nancy first posed that question, what is higher education? And I think that's a question that I have been battling myself audience I just graduated very recently (laughs) so I went to school in adulthood and going to a school in adulthood I think is very different than just like kind of continuing on from high school because you live that real world experience Mm -hmm. and then I went first to LaGuardia Community College and Mm -hmm. their education made sense to me and made a lot of sense it was like I go I'm working my job I go to classes in the evening And for some reasons, all the classes I was taking made sense to my job, like in what I was doing. It was that real world connection. However, when I went to private school, there was some type of disconnect that I had that happened there. And it really made me bring up this question of what is the point of higher education? And a big part of that question came down to the resources that it provides. Like, yes, you're going to learn, but... There's so many resources that these schools provide, whether it's mental health. I was able to have a therapist throughout my whole time at, um, at my school. I was, able to, I, I was able to protest in ways I wasn't able to protest out on the street. Mm-hmm. I was able to get fully funded tuition. Um, I was able to go to them and be like, hey, I can't afford my health insurance. Can you guys help me out? I had students who went there and be like, oh, my cell phone broke, and I feel really stressed, and I can't pass my classes. And they buy you a new cell phone. So I think of these resources and I think of like a person like Felicity Huffman's daughter who doesn't need these top tier resources where if I'm not mistaken, Stanford University, if you make less than, if you make between $65,000 $65, and $95,000, you will get 99% of your tuition, room and board covered. Not all schools have that. But CUNIC- it is a growing,
1: it's a growing trend within yeah. the top tier.
0: In the Brown. top tier, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Like these mm-hmm. top tier yeah. schools will meet you 100% of your need. Yeah, many of the selective schools,
2: along with the whole point of this school not having enough diversity and making sure that they are opening doors financially for students who couldn't afford them, offer 100% yeah. need, need commitment, and many of them will say without loans. And that goes across many tiers the very few schools are, that cannot do that are often more in the public sector. Yeah. So, But what I, I wanna go back to a point that you just uh-huh. made, which is the real world experience. And I have had more than 20 years in higher education working with students of color who come from low income backgrounds, right? Uh-huh. That has been my jam. And I love the work <laughs> that I do. However, they have a real world yes. experience, however, For me to say that Felicity's daughter doesn't have real-world experience would be false. And I am going to tell you why. Because these are the people that sometimes we are putting barriers between ourselves and others. And saying, my world is real-world experience. And the fact is that these are the people that I Mm -hmm. hope you will join in a boardroom. That you will join across. Because let's be clear, she may make it to be at that boardroom. Despite grades. Despite misleading information despite all of that. So to me, what I want it to be that it's like all of our experiences are real. Is higher education the place where you then come from different backgrounds for the very first time as a teenager or as an adult to take part in learning from each other? Where else is it going to happen? And so I see higher education as an opportunity to truly bring a very diverse very diverse group of people to learn together does it happen many times yes does it happen enough perhaps not yeah. but it, it we have to be aware that as a as a latina as an afro latina who worked three jobs literally waitress you know clerical job and and worked at, at the community college where i, I attended proudly my my experiences are real but i understand that i am one of many experiences and i want my students to be unafraid apologetic about saying i acknowledge you acknowledge me oftentimes when we negate the other experiences of others we also negate ourselves
0: and that's not to negate the experience when i say real world experience i don't mean like oh i lived more of a life than you i mean i lived a different type of life that makes me look at college differently i'm not just going straight from high school into college it was like I went to high school, and I didn't go to college right away, and I worked. And those work experience, I think, adds a different layer of how I'm looking at higher education. To me, it was not this hypothetical, I don't know what I want to do in, like, five years after I graduate. It was like, I know what I want to do, and I'm not sure if this experience, once I did transfer, is getting me one step closer in the way that I want it to. It was getting me one step closer, but, like, not in the way that I wanted my experience to be. So then that kind of brought up the question of, what is higher education? And for me, a lot of it was a credential, and it was obtaining that credential because it's a respected credential with getting jobs.
1: I think if we're gonna really look at the aspirational aspect of of what you're saying, in terms of really I think you're getting at what higher education should be, Mm -hmm. then we have to also be honest about what higher education is. And I'm taken aback often by what people believe the image of higher education is or the, the realities of it, um, especially as a professor at a community college. Um, I'm a first-generation college student, right? This is something that was mm-hmm. new for me to break into. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to one of the most quote-unquote competitive universities in the country, but that was a whole new world for me. Mm-hmm. Still, my image of what college was did not reflect the reality of, of mm-hmm. what it truly is. My image, and I think this is the image that's shared in popular culture and popular media. Media um, that image is living on campus, one right. It's mm-hmm. going to your dorm and then yeah. rolling out of class, and you dorm. But it's also having like and the
0: ivy on the side of the right. buildings and the yard, right. and like you know. Um,
1: right. It, the reality is that I mean, go back to I think it was 2016, and of the of the undergraduate con- uh, degrees conferred that year. Forty nine percent of those graduates had community college experience. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that's in the popular narrative at all. The role that community college plays, who goes to school, what percentage of the public goes to school, we can't begin to even think about what what higher educated what higher education mm-hmm. should be if we're not aware of what it is. And I think that's, that's a fundamental true. problem with what we think about with reform and what we think about in terms of of you know who we have in the classroom. And their experiences, that they, the experiences that they're bringing with them for the American public.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And also, just to, like, kind of piggyback on that, I think it's also, like, if we're going to talk about who has access to college, because I think that's what this yeah. issue comes down to me is that, with the whole college scandal, is who has access to buying their way into college? And I mean buying their way, is that even applying to college in, like, in a non... I'm going to bribe my way into college. Just straight up, I'm going to apply. And that costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to talk about making college accessible to students of color, to low-income students, we also need to just talk about going beyond just admitting these students. But what happens once these students are admitted? Mm -hmm. How do we keep these students? Mm -hmm. At my school, I know plenty of students of color who had to take either a semester off, a year off, or transfer out of the school. Because every aspect, not every aspect, but a lot of the aspects of my experience, and I think some of my classmates experiences within higher education, was going to a school that was very making it very clear that it was not meant to teach you. Like as a student of color, it was not meant to teach you. And that was in the name of the buildings, having them be named after mm-hmm. sla- like former slave owners, um, having a teacher, up to like having an English teacher say that words don't mean things unless you put meaning behind them going up to a black <laughs> student and calling them the n-word like you know so like what are we doing to students of color in the classroom once they do get admitted
2: you know I, I want to go back to something you said and I mm-hmm. want to make sure I answer that question but I am again it's going back to the meaning of words right yeah and the full meaning of words as it applies is that the the, the the meaning as it is Exist out there in the everyday narrative of our world, does it include my meaning of that word, right? And when we're thinking about especially accessibility, right, we can say that a kid right now, in I'm gonna use where I come from, Ridgewood Houses in the Bronx, right? With a low GPA, minimal mm-hmm. calculus, minimal English development, very limited experiences that have been offered to the student to consider colleges. Basically, you know, very limited resources. It's not really that there's something wrong with the student, the system itself is not supporting for the student to even apply to local colleges in a way that will allow them to prepare during their high school years to even attend often a community college and not do remediation. So to me, I'm very interested in full accessibility. Meaning, are we looking at the student, and are their resources, such as again uh-huh. this young woman who was not as talented, and you know, and we can argue that um, we've met some really star students that don't that yeah. don't yeah. have a full range of attention. So to me, is how can we make sure that that student has full is fully aware of all of the opportunities right it's just that young woman that you know that is talented that has it. it is like i'm just applying to this job one job around the corner from my house and and i'm like oh why don't you want to apply to other jobs i think we have to look at college access as just as the point of thought of i'm going to call am i looking at all of the opportunities do i know for example that if i don't get if i'm not ready or to have the profile to get into the top school, that community college is an amazing option for me that I should not be embarrassed, even Mm -hmm. though there are 10,000 jokes about it. That you should be, by the way, there's a trend in higher education where people of very high income are sending their children to community community colleges to do those
0: first two years. To do
2: the first two years to reduce costs because that's the only way that they're able to burst that bubble of cost. So let's make sure of that. I also want to make sure that I covered your, the question that that you talked about, and that is I guess that, you know, American institutions are riddled with it, with lots of injustice because it is the history of the United mm-hmm. States. To assume that higher education in a nation that was born out of injustice and freedom and inequality and true definitions of accessibility to vote of, based on gender, based on income, based on property, well, you know that's yes we that's those institutions they were built that way and so we have to once we're ready to accept that and that we can say we're not too far from that you know yeah. the Civil Rights Act of 19 what? <laughs> 65 mm-hmm. yeah, that's yesterday I was born in 73 mm-hmm. so that's yesterday so we cannot we have to push our institutions but I'm not sure all institutions are really ready often yeah. to listen. I am fortunate to say That many are, and Mm -hmm. many are addressing.
0: At
2: the speed that I want them to,
0: no. Yeah, and I will say that my school, I don't think it's unique. I don't think any of my experiences when it came to race was unique um, to me or to that school. And I will say I think my school tried to get it right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they were responsive. Other schools won't even be responsive until it blows up in the media, and then they're like, okay, I will fire this teacher now because Mm -hmm. we need to save face. They did that before it even got to the media, (laughs) like, you know, so nobody ever had to go that route. But, yeah, I do think that we need to push the boundaries of who has access. Who do we think is a college Mm -hmm. student? I think that's what it is. We need to Mm -hmm. reimagine who do we think is a college student. Because going back to Jason's image of what is college and what Mm -hmm. was college in your mind, to me, a big part of college is that college brochure that you get in the mail with like a whole bunch of white students <laughs> with their little hoodies, with the school logo on it, and their backpacks sitting on the green? They're and that one black intention-
1: student. In they're also intentionally diverse, almost yeah. comically That's so. That's what like, I was saying with that one have... black student,
0: mm-hmm. the one well, Asian sure. student. Yeah. But like it's very sporadic with the majority of the background being white students. So, like, you know what I mean? Like you have those like singular students of color that will pop up in these brochures. But what's in the background that's telling me that that's, like, unique in that space Mm -hmm. is, like, a whole bunch of whiteness. It's like, you know, that, like, little black dot in, like, Mm -hmm. a field of snow. (laughs) You just see it. That's what I feel like college is sometimes.
1: So to a point that Nancy was saying, too, um, in terms of the, you know, one of the problems is that we're far more interested in feeding the Fed Mm -hmm. um, than we are with thinking about who's hungry Mm -hmm. i mean we have performative like food in this to continue this metaphor Mm -hmm. like we have performative food giveaways and so forth (laughs) but um or we're more let me revise that we're more interested in protecting the fed Mm -hmm. those who you know um i think that there are efforts that come in the form of You know different programs that people have invested in um in the true neoliberal tradition like we'll throw money at things um but i'm thinking about for example you're talking about history and you know legacy admissions go back far longer than the question of affirmative action legacy Mm -hmm. admissions go back to the 1920s it goes back to harvard it goes back to um the question of jewish admissions in, in harvard and in elite schools when legacy missions began to get invoked. So that's hundred almost hundred years. Affirmative action is a question of very recent history, and yet in that short history has already seen it seen many efforts to try to chip away at it, mm-hmm. to tear it down. We can go back to seventy you know, the mid-seventies and the Baki case. But the decades since have seen real attempts to try to break that system down. Um, even going back to the Fisher case, the Fisher case in 2016 yeah um, or the Bollinger case at the turn of the, you know around 2003 um, so there's more of an interest in breaking down these programs like affirmative action that um, are far more controversial than something like legacy admissions right which is more long-standing and in a lot of ways is a lot more dangerous more pernicious um, there's a book by Daniel Golden, uh, The Cost of Admission. It came out in 2006, and it goes in depth about just the damage that legacy legacy admissions do and have done. He actually did research on um, Jared Kushner and talking about mm-hmm. how not only do... See, here's another fundamental difference, right? Affirmative action might get students in the door who may not have been and... That might be that student's or that family's first graduate in the family, uh-huh. or so forth, like that. Things like legacy admissions are protecting and putting people in positions of consequential power. I'm, we're not talking about like a boardroom. We're talking about the highest offices of of the land, yeah. and who's protecting that? Well, when you have the majority of Supreme Court justices from the very institutions that mm. you know, in many ways. Are, keep legacy admissions as a standard bearer of, of their policy, then how do you undo that? That seems almost impossible from that point of view. But again, even if we take the elite out, if that's even possible, I think that we generally have this focus on those who, we have the focus in the wrong place. And it shouldn't be going on, you know, those who, one more point I'll point out with the um, recent admission um Debacle or the, the challenge to Harvard's policies. And you know that that lawsuit's going going through as another challenge to affirmative, to affirmative what is that action. Lawsuit? Mm. Um, well, basically, the crux of the case is that um, Asian and Asian American students are making the case okay. that affirmative action, of course, is um, excluding them mm. as they are in this quote unquote middle ground of having the merit but also seeing their numbers compromised in these institutions. But yet, they are complaining and they're targeting affirmative action recipients or the system of affirmative action instead of the legacy admissions, which are such a prominent part of Harvard and these other institutions, for very complex reasons. But still, that's the case. Point being, our attention is faced in one direction and not in the other, and Mm -hmm. that tends to be a really destructive divisive mm-hmm. problem that, uh, that prevents us from moving forward.
0: Why do you guys think that is, though? Because I have my reason, and I think it kind of goes back to who do we vision to be college students? Who do we think is worthy of being a college student? Mm.
2: You know, if you have 35,000 people applying for 2,000 spots, there is a very narrow door to get there, right? But the door gets even narrower. If you don't even see that door, Mm -hmm. right? Like the further you are from it, it's such a, you know, it looks even, you know, smaller. The fact is, if you have legacy and if you have the resources to submit a strong application, which really, in in all its honesty, you don't, you know, I'm not talking about those who are lying or trying to embellish what they're doing, but I'm talking about from very close, that door looks so much bigger. Mm -hmm. My work is trying to get students to be even closer to that door. I am not about kind of like, oh, we don't need to get in through that door. I want to break that door open and open it for everybody that comes, and all of the other doors that provide access. I think you have to really think about colleges have a lot of resources that allow you to philosophize. Like For us to be sitting here, when I think of my ancestry, this was a luxury to be able to sit, we did it anyways. Mm-hmm. We became professors, we killed it. We still did what we mm-hmm. did with very limited resources. I'm always shocked at that. It's like, if I didn't have light and I was really tired, would I be able to do the things that my ancestors yeah. did on their ownership as if I were furniture? I'm not sure, I would like to think they gave me the strength to do that, but I I'm not sure, But but and I bring that up because when you go to a four-year institution and you keep asking what does that look like, and you know, is it, you know, I if we you know we should never remove race but in this case let's think about it. It's a acres and acres usually of a lot of resources that allow you to think through problems and that allow you to get to meet people and to really discuss and develop intellectual. That's not the only place where that happens, but what I'm saying is, it's like what that's what happens with what resources do and especially for low-income students and the students like me and you and that were in the struggle financially and at times in survival Mm -hmm. mode having that ability i want more people to have that i am fighting for that dream and that is because so many of those resources are hoarded hoarded those opportunities are hoarded by a very small group of people That can say, I may not even get to the most selective, but I get to the one below that, and I have three choices at the point Uh of admissions. I want my students and those opportunities to become a reality because I think that there is great value in our students being given the opportunity to be students. And that, that doesn't say that I, as a community college commuting, I wasn't a student but I want a full range. Why is it that we are okay oftentimes? We say the only opportunity for you accessing community, of accessing college, is through this one college yeah. around the corner. I want it to be that. That's an opportunity. I want you to be proud to attend there and do it, but given the opportunity to fully look at the entire... I want students of color first-generation to see the world as theirs. I don't want to limit opportunity because I mean, I'm afraid for them or concerned or aware of the injustices of the world. Mm-hmm. Who better to fight injustice than us? We've always been at the forefront. Do we, is it fair? No. But I want that to happen. Yeah.
0: And just even that, I like when I was applying to school, and you were there, Nancy, for this process, <laughs> and it was a battle. It was a great process, I know. It was a process, nonetheless. But I remember going to visit Stanford. Stanford, one of the most top schools, in this country, and I visited after I had submitted my application, mm-hmm. and I did not take that application seriously at all, mm-hmm. because I did not envision myself there. I was like, there's no way Stanford is going mm-hmm. to accept me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not top so tier student. And then I got on campus, and it was this moment of, do I have the best grades? No, I'm not the 4.0, five GPA. <laughs> like, I think some people go above a 4.0 yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> That's not me. I was sitting at a comfortable like 3.56 or something. I liked it. It was like, I guess I gotta slack a little, but still did my work. Um, But I got on that campus and something happened where I was like, wait, I should be here. Mm -hmm. And I should have had somebody putting that vision in my head from Mm -hmm. high school that I could be here. Mm -hmm. And I want, because I teach, I want all my students to be here. So when I, I did not get into Stanford, <laughs> not surprised, because I like I said, I did not take that application seriously at all. Um, but when I, after I graduated from college and I went back to teaching, something that I told all my students, and I taught at a school where they were, te- it's predominantly Hispanic, Black, and a lot of the college advisement was, oh, go to CUNY go to community college, go to CUNY, and nothing's wrong with CUNY and nothing's wrong with community college. I love both of them. Um, However, I know the resources that Stanford has for their students fully, intimately, I know that. And I'm like, I want those resources for all of my students. And I want them to see themselves being at the top school and that they have a place there. And
2: I know um, that you attended at school with a lot of resources. And again, Mm -hmm. it's not absent of many of the other issues of injustice and all of the other things that happen but I just want to be uh-huh. for because i dying to hear what you, you're thinking about this because you know I, I'm i in the that, that middle row uh-huh. of accessibility right uh-huh. of being proud of community college students of being a proponent that community colleges can be the beginning of so much for our community but at, at the same time understanding that I want students like Chelsea and to be given the opportunity to consider like I am I don't I, have, I don't ever want it to be, just like in terms of career. I, I remember going to my high school and somebody constantly telling me, you're going to, you know, why don't you become a secretary? or a uh-huh. fast typist. Nobody talked to me about what I was thinking. And there was no way for me to even display my thoughts and my intellectual abilities. And so I wanted to be that more people understand the full range of opportunities and then you have the ability to make a decision that you own and i think that that's true freedom having only one option it's not freedom Mm -hmm. in the in the eye it's not in the in the eyes of our ancestry ancestry because if not they would have just been okay with that one choice Mm -hmm. and one job Mm -hmm. freedom to me is a full range if i so choose to i can go here to, to community college, as I did, and many uh-huh. other people do to this day that are amazing and talented. They know no lesser, by the way. That same research and that they quoted demonstrate that students from low income do just as well yeah. in these highly selected. So let's be clear they do just as fine, the students as that.
0: And if I am to, not yes.
2: mistaken,
0: yes. Um, didn't you write an mm-hmm. article about community college students outperforming? traditional yes, schools. Yes, and so the yeah. Jack and Cook
2: so Foundation, mm-hmm. um, an amazing organization that yeah. supports community college, that has one program mm-hmm. uh, among many. This one focuses on community college to mm-hmm. highly selective. Um, and, and they are, they were, started doing this for 2006, the same time that the found our foundation, the Capital Education Foundation started. And they did this research where it shows that students from low-income backgrounds do just it as well, but actually... Not just do just but outperform some Mm -hmm. students that actually have are native to that college. And so let's be clear here being low income and transferring in from another college, despite all of that, you we outperform. So that's what I'm saying. Be unafraid. We need to get our students to all of the schools that are available. We cannot claim diversity in our workforce and globally as we represent to to deal with the world's um social issues if we're not represented in colleges being diverse in one school is not diversity
1: (laughs) you know one thing that that i tell my students that frustrates me a lot um i mean rightfully so my school teaching at LaGuardia Community College um rightfully so it lays claim to bringing together people from all over the world and therefore is diverse in that way. Mm -hmm. But then when I ask my students, so is this a diverse school? They universally will say, yeah, 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 yes. But then I'm asking them, wait, is this an economically diverse school? No, absolutely Absolutely. not. I think the median family income for the majority of our students, the median family income at our school is below $30,000. $30,000 for a huge percentage of students who are trying right. to just get by—that's not economic diversity. We really, you know, this also reminds me of what happens at four-year schools, and and particularly, particularly um, with this in, with the international student population. What will happen is you'll have schools who can say, "Yes, we boast um, 12% of our population as African descended." Mm-hmm. And no knock to the very ambitious you know, folks within the diaspora. Um, you'll have folks who are, or schools that will have maybe, well, some sizable portion of that. They're coming from another country and that's, again, absolutely fine. But when it comes to the kind of game that they're playing, it's saying, well, we're going to lump all the black students from all over the world yeah. to say, yeah, we're, we're making sure that we have um, a diverse population and we're also getting money out of it because you know you if you're an international student then you're not getting financial aid you're paying the full price tag um, you know so I mean yeah the way that we think about diversity and count diversity um, you know that's very flawed another thing that I I think that Chelsea touched on a little bit we underestimate the value of getting away um, coming from New York uh, when I was trying to leave, I mean, I came up came up in Ravenswood Projects right across the water, over here in Long Island City, and I didn't have visions of leaving New York like a lot of mm-hmm. students didn't. Until some things happened junior year, changed my mind. The real education that I got was not just being at the institution I, I went to, but being where it was, and um, you know that's mm-hmm. another important part about. Uh, i mean we're getting a little bit off off the general topic but if we are talking about education and its value it's also where people go and the exposure that our students need um there's one of my favorite quotes it's from zora neale hurston and she says you got to go there to know there, mm-hmm. right and you know to truly broaden one's eyes and education you know some of it's also maybe a more fundamental question um Should we be targeting just this top tier just because they've been ranked as such? Um, There are hundreds of schools that students could be going to, state colleges, um, specialized colleges that are in liberal arts, uh, whatever what have you, that provide the same if not better types of opportunities, resources, depending on the institution of course, but an experience too. Uh Um, especially when you throw grad school in the mix. Right. But, yeah.
2: I, I, I mean, I think that that, to me, it really speaks to the value of education. As someone that would never lived on campus, I know that living in another state for me, visiting another country, has given me great perspective, especially as a person of color, Mm -hmm. and perspective that in my bubble, because often we're so protective of ourselves, and saying, again, oh yeah, I'm surrounded by diversity, but really, you're not. But diversity, it's a term that we have created that is not just like poverty. I was poor, but I never knew I was poor. I was like, oh, I'm poor? Right. I was like, Uh Oh, people make this much money? (laughs) No. And so I didn't want I mean, that's how poverty can be so blinding Mm -hmm. that you don't even understand. Rich people know they're rich. Yeah. And they are aspiring to be richer. We were not not trying to be poorer, no. But we certainly at one point you are thinking you're good. Mm -hmm. I am here. And I think that colleges and just in, in think about recent immigrants think about you know somebody that has been that has grown here for generations with very limited resources from their medical from their education think about as higher education oftentimes other than joining the armed forces is the only opportunity that you will have to really access another part of the world or the country in a way that you have a title that allows you to claim spaces. For people of color, that is key. And that's where I wanted to be. And again, I I love, I mean, I am a fan of that full range of schools, Mm -hmm. of student, our community should know from community college all the way through the most selective Mm -hmm. schools. And then making a choice. But the language of admissions is something we own yeah. but has not been shared with our own community. Yeah. Just like the language of poverty has been said to us in a very external way.
1: This is a quick question I have for you, Nancy. It's something that you wrote in your piece that mm-hmm. I want you to expound <laughs> upon because it was it's really in research.
2: All right. Okay, okay. My brother did research already. <laughs> <You> <laughs>
0: No, you
1: made a point that I think um, really, really hits the spot. You said in response to the amount of attention that this court case is getting, uh, the real crime is that three-fifths of students don't have a fair shot. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean with that and... Mm-hmm. detailing what who the three-fifths are and what do you mean when you say they don't have a fair shot? Like, what are the different components?
2: Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have been in circles, and Chelsea, you have been in circles of so many times of people celebrating a first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you're like, oh, wait, really? For real? This
0: is the first time? was it there, this- like, some, like, first black neuroscience, like, PhD, something else. Really, really, really. But I mean, you're (laughs) like,
2: oh wow. But the first, let me just make sure that if we were to go to any of these particular schools, if we took Mm -hmm. took them as a a microcosm, right, Uh, there will be many firsts of people of color, many firsts of first generation, many firsts of immigrant students, of Mm -hmm. many first. So to me, we can in our communities we're constantly talking about a deficiency model where we explain our success right by the people who do not make it or by the people mm. who do not the tiny bit that make it and then that one percent t- that tiny tiny right
1: mm-hmm.
2: i'm interested and in, i'm always interested in why is it that students do not have the opportunity even to consider college because that is that there is the crime mm-hmm. we can certainly look to institutions that are selective mm-hmm. and how selective they are if We could, you know if we're doing right now i think we're good about holding them accountable But I want to hold people accountable about why is it that the students don't even make it to be considered. Mm -hmm. Because if the funnel, if we're only looking at that funnel and we're only looking at the sharpest part of the funnel, we are not really doing true justice for our people. Mm -hmm. And I argue, and again, because I'm not, I don't operate from a deficiency model, these selective schools, any of these schools, will benefit so much from more of us making mm-hmm, it there. Mm-hmm. Because the problems of the world, and it sounds really corny and everything, it are diverse problems from different communities. How well, why are we not there? Why are not mm-hmm. more of us making it there? Please reject oh. us. You don't even have that many to reject. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be like, you know, this year we rejected like, you know, a thousand students mm-hmm. that really could make it and they were all of color. You know, when you're rejecting five
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. out of 20, that are, it, it kills me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, speaking of rejection and admission, it also points to what it is institutions value. It talks about mm-hmm. the role of test scores. Yeah. Um, I am pleased with the decreasing uh, role that it seems that SATs and standardized testing um, is having and looking at the whole student um, because they're very arbitrary markers. And I say that coming from my years of teaching. This now my 13th year in the classroom. And I've taught, had the privilege and pleasure of teaching at a very, very selective institution. I've taught at a state institution, taught at a liberal arts institution, taught at a community college (laughs) institution. I've taught at four, you know, the major types. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fundamentally, I've had some of the most riveting, critical insights from my community college students. Um, I've had, you know, the idea that there's just better student in terms of ability um, off of these arbitrary markers, you know, there are, it's just such a more complex conversation than, oh, well, how did this person do on this score? It it actually invites us to talk a little bit about what's happening here in New York with the the outcry over specialized testing and the specialized schools here
0: um, and isn't that also, like, very complex? being um, presented, like, as in diversifying the schools, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, it, the
1: majority of the... Oh, it's getting uh, yeah. a lot of pushback. And I, I'm in this interesting spot because I'm a beneficiary of that. Speaking of what Nancy just said, like, right, you know, as I got older, I wasn't so much into, oh, let's celebrate what I did. Realize, mm-hmm. like, me getting picked out of this program that was mm-hmm. selective or whatever you took me but you left behind mm-hmm. basically my friends people yeah. who I still kicked it with and yes. was going home to right so yeah we could we could do that but if we're really interested in equity then it does mean some very very tough choices like
0: mm-hmm.
1: hey do we just suspend this program which let's just be real it perpetuates the very type of cherry picking mm-hmm. that we do we like to cherry pick and isolate this group of students to all be in quote unquote the smart kid class and so forth um it, it it requires a radical rethinking of education's purpose for us to really think if we really are serious about diversity um then those types of programs are not going to be able to hold up in their current form
2: you know I, you know our program at the capital Leadership, you know cup program is selective in many ways in the same ways that many of these yeah. schools are and that is so i believe in a wider funnel And that is something that executive as executive director I'm working towards because Mm -hmm. I do believe that See I wasn't
1: trying to get you in trouble either. No, no, (laughs) no.
2: But I think that how else are we gonna resolve this issue if we don't have really honest conversations about this? And I am proud and I stand by my work of having years, you know, that we're you know, of of being selective and Mm -hmm. creating because I am, I, we're trying to break barriers. Mm-hmm. We are trying to remove barriers. Mm-hmm. And with that, we have to do it within the confines of what, what the system is there. Mm-hmm. My vision and my goal, and I think I share this vision with many of the people that support, is to have a wider tunnel. I am not interested about talking to tra- about transfer admissions to only the 3.5 and above. I think that this discussion has to be had. At the point of high school, especially when these students that so many of them I always go and I work, you know, I talk to um, high school or college access programs for high schools, and I would say, you know, how many of you students here are going to community college? Is it 90%? It's, you know, I start out with 10%. Most people raise their hand by the times it makes it to 70 and 80%. Mm-hmm. But the minute that I mention community college, you're, ah, you're you're trying to diminish my students like you don't and I'm like no 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 what I'm trying to say is let's get them ready to widen that what you're talking about to, to have a very you know wider and access to that group of people because if we continue to chip it down to the most selective mm-hmm. to the, the you have to be we are crossing a problem and in, and in, in, in not bringing a, a very holistic solution to the problem I'm all about bringing Coming up with that solution, so I'm with you. I don't, I don't take offense. I am, I, I want people to but call me I on also myself. think that you look at different <laughs> markers.
0: You look at different markers that goes outside the traditional admissions office will look at when they're admitting a student. You value a student having to be home and taking care of their younger sibling. That to you is like, well, that's work. Yeah. You know. Yeah,
2: we're we're for it. But but
0: again, I just. It's
2: how do you define diversity? Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you say your classroom is that my my classroom or my students are age diverse. I have students that yeah, I mom, serve yeah. you know from seventeen to all the
0: way through forty three. You know, yeah. and that's and what I'm that. about my school because yes. my school had a non traditional age program. That's how I was able to get into it, and mm-hmm. we had students from yes. the non traditional program, which very much so you treated like a regular traditional student. Um, you get your you get your high school high school diploma. Oh my goodness, you get your college degree mm-hmm. <laughs> through that same pathways as traditional students. Um, but we had students between the ages of twenty four and seventy four, so it was really diverse in that way, age diverse. And through that program, I also think they try to make it as racially diverse too. Yes. Yeah, I
2: mean, the you know diversity, and, and again, we have the the ability through our opportunities in education and our careers. To grow up in truly diverse environments, and to and I always think that for me as a woman of color, to stand across from, you know, a woman, a white woman who has always been raised, you know, here, it's 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 empowering in that uh, we can all claim our spaces, right? But also come together. I am not the kumbaya person. We need to really handle and come up and discuss what are the issues that enable disparities, not just in gender, right? I will stand with you, sister. We're going to fight over yeah. it. But I want you to also stand with me when we discuss race, when we discuss our men of color and their, what is going on in our community. So we need that. Um, but I think I would not have been best served if I would have continued to be in this false diversity that I grew up in, which tells me that everybody, everybody around me, I and mean, in the projects are either... Um, financially, socioeconomically in poverty, or working class poor, or you know, or just simply out of the economic system altogether because they either are soon to become homeless. So I don't, I I am not that person. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. slack for this. I don't think that I am best served with just being around my community and only my community. I want to be everywhere. That's where I was meant to be. I was secluded from everywhere. I am claiming new spaces. And if that space is a highly selective institution and I know how to open, I'm doing it. I Call me if you want to say, oh, you're out, you're okay, sell out. Are you selling out? Okay. I'm going to sell out. That's If that's a sellout, if that is somebody who is rejecting what we already have, I'm rejecting it as the only choice. Yeah.
1: I was thinking about again, the reality of who's in the classroom or what we think of the classroom and the general image of higher education. And I'm reminded of I'm reminded of man, growing up and thinking about name brands and how much they Mm -hmm. meant coming up. Um, And how you know, really, I remember getting my first pair of jeans Mm -hmm. that were really pricey. (laughs) Like, just to be that dude on the block. like I, yo, I, Man, I caught me a pair of Beniche jeans. Mm-hmm. They were, I think, $60, $70. <laughs> First week, got a hole in them. First week. Only pair of jeans that ever ripped that badly because it was cheap material. But it was the tag that was on it, right? And it made me think a little bit about kind of how we look at um, who's in the classroom for college. I mean, one thing that strikes me is if anyone listening knows what's happening in higher ed. There's a huge backlog of faculty who are looking for work. Um, This idea that these institutions uh, that are so celebrated and exalted just attract better faculty is absurd. Um, Especially as it relates to serving students. I mean, for a lot of institutions that are so celebrated with funding, their faculty are primarily concerned with research. That's why they're called research institutions. That's not to take away at all from my colleagues who are doing amazing work and they're doing it outside the classroom. Some are doing it inside the classroom. Some are phenomenal. Um, But in these institutions like a community college, you have faculty who are coming from amazing places as well. Actually, ironically, some of them are coming from these, uh, are coming from your harvards your yales or strong state schools with strong programs but again that's more about what we think about with name brand imaging and how much we value the Mm. you know what as opposed to the material that something's made out of um Mm. and in our classrooms and specifically in community colleges there's a huge influx of educators now looking to go into that space who are being valued for their teaching being valued for their mentorship for all of that, mm-hmm. um, yet the general public image of who's teaching and all of that is, you know, that's completely the opposite. It's the idea of, oh, well, you're going there to get a lesser education, mm-hmm. um, and that's just not true.
2: You know, if you were, I always ask people, if you, you know, because I'm trying to create a collection of clips from um, shows that have, in, in media... That have jokes about community colleges, mm. their students, I would as well as as well as professors, right? Yeah. It's like you know the joke is on them mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm.
0: and again, and I don't want it
2: to be an internal message, but I say that to everybody out there: um, the quality of education that happens under most testing of circumstances at times are. As as a professor, I'm sure you sat there as I was an advisor for many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there would be a student with with two kids and Mm -hmm. killing it and Mm -hmm. writing, giving you a a five page paper for two pages. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what did you, when did you write this? Mm -hmm. And also, intellectually, and it meant intellectually, there's a depth and an understanding that sometimes I would read stuff and I would say, how did they come up with this solution? Yeah. and that comes out of different experiences, yeah. and perhaps it would have never appeared in the American Psychological Association Journal um, because that student may have never been de- given the opportunity to enter mm-hmm. that, and that professor that was interested may not even be doing research in that area, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the, that is the reality of it all. Yeah. The quality of community college students and the quality of the faculty, I, I in in this it's unquestionable and invaluable, and I argue, are going to be the people that are going to bring the biggest, um, are really going to have one of the biggest impacts of the next economy, because we are here and we're not going anywhere. You know, this type of, I mean, we're here. Mm -hmm. It it will be the educated that will hopefully lead the way, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I know many people who don't have that official degree, and I I wanna say that. Whenever I talk about education, especially in the community, I want to say that I value it and I appreciate it, but I also know I don't ever want to dishonor the education of life that people yeah, have gotten yeah. that have not made it and go and have a degree. Yeah, and
0: especially and I to think our community. that's like really important for this conversation is to not honor like we need to pay like honor every level of education. So we need to honor community college, we need to honor yeah. CUNY, we need to honor city colleges, state colleges, private colleges, um, but we also need to like honor the education of life, like you're saying mm-hmm. and For a very long time, that was who I was. Still to this day, I don't really see myself as like a student. I see myself as a person of life, as a Mm -hmm. learner of life, a student of life. Um, And I think that, I don't know, I think one time you told me this, um, Jason, when I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get into any of the schools that I'm trying to transfer to. And you're like, you're creative enough to make it work either way. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. so true for people who don't go to college. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're creative enough and they can be successful without. Tip. I also I, knew you were getting uh, into one of those. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know, it was writing I recommendations,
1: but yeah, it was more about your choice. Yes. yes. So, right.
2: And if not given a choice, right? Yeah. If not, you would have done just fine. I would have done just because fine. Because of who yeah. you are. I want to add something to what Jason and you said before, and that refers to merit, right? Mm-hmm. Is merit today, financial aid and aid at the selective, and many of the selective, is increasing. and has increased over the f- past few years, in terms of merit aid regarding the student's the applicant's ability to be recognized for something uh-huh. they have done not for need right so merit aid has increased oh, and either need. and need based has either remained or not not gone up in many of these schools yeah, so, depending so, on the state too right so many of so many schools would say you know we say 60 70% of our students receive financial aid of some sort I hear that. But it's like, yeah, but if you're giving only merit aid, that means that in in many instances, many students of color who couldn't demonstrate their merit didn't even apply or get Uh in, and therefore not receiving that. And I think that that's something that I caution everybody, that many schools out there uh, would talk about how much financial aid that they give. I'm more interested in how much need-based are you giving as opposed to merit. And again, keep in mind that I have many students, and in my world, I'm exposed to many students who would never qualify for any type of federal aid or state aid or anything like that, but would, by default, right? In terms of their lives and their circumstances, they play the flute, they part of the political team, they have done 50 things, they travel traveled the world, they have amazing test scores, Merit. merit So they're the ones that often will get the aid and the student that could benefit from just applying and getting the aid. Remember, there's more financial aid that is institutional than anybody else gives. So when we think of scholarships in our communities, like our students that apply to $1,000 scholarship we're there, when a school is able to meet and through institutional aid, 100% meet, we have to educate our children and yeah. ourselves about what is really creating pathways and opportunities to have full, Access Limited access, to me, is not good enough.
0: Yeah. And then also, like, I had a moment when I was applying to schools that was, that looked at admissions, need-based, like, they were not Mm need-blind admissions policies. And it took me a while to get to this point, but I realized I don't want to go to a school that's going to look at me and look at my need. And how much they may have to give me for me to be a student at that school. And have that be taken into consideration mm-hmm. for my application. Yeah. I don't want that school. I want a school that wants to meet my need 100%. Yeah. And will not consider how much financial aid I need in order to be there. So,
2: And I think that that's, that's very important. And by the way, in my book, and this sounds like a terrible plug, but it's not I'll a plug, plug. it. Because by the way, I know that you asked me to do something for you. Yes. Which is to give you some copies of yes. the book. Yes. When you post this, I'm gonna open up the guide to be free on Amazon for like two weeks after. So make sure that you ask your students to download it for free. I'll give you the date, and then I'm gonna give you a hard copy, but I just wanna, because that's where you can find a lot of the questions that you need to ask schools about whether you're a transfer student or not to determine whether that school is able to fully support you through graduation. Um, And it has information for undocumented students. has uh, information for community college or any transfer student for veterans as well as students with children which my goal is to get all of those groups and more into the most selective schools in the nation because
0: we need to be there (laughs) that's awesome so we actually need to wrap this up do you guys have any last thoughts you want to say not to put y'all on the spot (laughs) but putting y'all on the spot yeah
1: no, I mean, my main focus or my main interest right now is, you know, understanding that, um, you know, we're in the middle of a problem. Uh, some of it is a very multifaceted problem. Um, you know, it really is a moment where I think that this is, uh, the case illustrates money over merit. Um, it's not just an educational problem. It's an American problem.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: an economic problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I think about my students who are struggling, even though I have to assign them a grade, I'm also thinking about the different financial hurdles they have to walk, the different, um, you know. So reforming education is not unlike the question of how do we, quote-unquote, fix uh, our racial wounds. It's it's partially an economic calculus mm-hmm. that goes into it and recognizing that um, we can't just cherry-pick and have the prestigious so-and-so cohort just make up for an entire community that's been displaced it's a much larger question about the systems uh, of legacy that perpetuate Mm -hmm. power structures it's not just the tokenism that we often think is enough um and then just say oh well the rest aren't trying hard enough you know my students are a testament to hard work and uh for us to move pat to, uh, for us to move forward with education and reform, we have to first understand who and what we are before we can even start dreaming about where we're going to be.
2: Mm-hmm. You. I, um, you know, for me, what I want to leave everyone with is the concept of not are there enough opportunities out there, but I'm more most interested in the hoarding of opportunities. And I think that when you think of accessibility to colleges and admission spots in any given college, mm-hmm. what I'm, why is it that the opportunity itself to be applied is hoarded just simply through access to a, a, to resources? And finally, what I want to say is, somebody shared this quote with me some years ago, and I use it all the time. And that is to whatever the problem, education is the solution. And especially, you know, if you have diabetes, if you, um, have um, family problems, educate yourselves about what is the mm-hmm. appropriate way to mm-hmm. handle those things emotionally. And that the same thing applies to all of the problems, whether it's economic issues that we're facing, governmental issues, lack of representation, educating yourself about school choice, mm-hmm. uh, school opportunities is the beginning to us empowering ourselves to have access in, 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 in its fullest, in the fullest meaning of the world.
0: Thank you. Thank you both for coming out. I really appreciate it. I love you us. both so much. I really, really love it. OK, so we want to hear from you. Go to the Black Culture Black Thought Instagram page and leave a comment detailing your argument for this week's question, which is, what did the scandal teach us about class and accessing higher education? Did this, did this scandal give us a moment of pause to reconsider the functioning of higher education and the weight of financial freedom and career opportunity that a bachelor degree holds? If you leave a comment, you will be entering into our weekly giveaway. Each week, I select the person whose post resonates the most with me, and you will receive a piece of work from the artist or writer we titled our episode after. So this week, you're going to be getting a copy, like Nancy mentioned, of your guide to college transfer. You're getting both the actual workbook and, like, a, what is that? Student book, right?
2: Student book that they can give to their uh,
0: professor or anybody that advises them. <laughs> That's the instructional manual. Their instruction manual, sorry. So um, go to the Instagram page, leave a comment. This is really important because this book profiles over 100 competitive schools and rates them based off of how transfer friendly they are. It also guides you through the complete transfer process on, from selecting a potential school to funding your tuition once admitted into that school. Uh, we will, oh, sorry. So we can all acknowledge this is like my little thing that I put down in here about <laughs> higher education. <laughs> we can all acknowledge that. Um, There are many issues with higher education and that it favors students who are white, who are wealthy, and I would be remiss or to deny or diminish the benefits of having a bachelor's degree. I graduated while I was 27, and I was able to double my hourly consultant rate (laughs) once I graduated, and that's not a mistake. That was not because of my, like, it was because of that degree, it's because of that credential, and I want all of my people, like Nancy was saying, like Jason was saying, to have that credential. And to have that earning power and to be able to double it with a bachelor's degree. So please enter this week's giveaway. Thank you all for tuning in. Join me next week we going to be talking about Robert Kelly, R. Kelly. Because <laughs> that Lord. piece of trash needs to be talked about. All right. So I'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Thank you. Thank you. So-